Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Single High, the Notre Dame football podcast from UHND.com. I am Frank Fatovich. I am your host for the next hour or so, and I am joined by the offensive coordinator for the Fighting Hamiltons, Greg <laughs> Flamong. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, my man. We're uh, we're 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 gonna start pumping these out, I guess, huh? I know we didn't do we did like one and then we waited a year and now we are <laughs> mere days in between in between podcasting. So I mean, hey, we're on we're uh, we're in fuego here, as uh, as Rich Eisen used to say on ESPN. <laughs> I think you have to. Uh, I think we've got to get the train rolling, and then once it's once it starts, then we're we're just gonna keep it going. Can't stop it at this point. We got done on Friday, and I'm like, I I have a lot to say. I am ready to <laughs> to keep talking, and we'll see. And hey, early numbers I'm looking at in our analytics were were not terrible. Um, so thank you to all of you who have listened, and I know a couple of you have asked on Twitter about subscribing and where we are, where we're located. I think we're on like we're we're on a bunch of the podcasting sites now, including Spotify um, and a bunch of others that I had never heard of and didn't know existed. Uh, cause the little service <laughs> sent it out to everybody. We are still waiting on the Apple approval, but, uh, and I submitted that on like Saturday, I think. So hopefully it's just uh, another couple days until, uh, until we're in there. But, uh, yeah, man, Friday was fun. Uh, got some good feedback. I don't know if you talked to anybody who, uh, who listened. I know you said your dad listens to every single one. So is he, uh, has he listened to us yet? He hasn't listened to us yet because unless the the pod is going to be delivered directly to his pod feed, um, trying to get him to uh, trying to get him to navigate the internet in any kind of way um, becomes kind of a challenge. So, uh, but it's good because if there's like three or four just sitting there waiting for him while uh, while we get ready for Apple to finally give us our mm-hmm give us our feed then then that'll be good but i have heard from a couple of people and a couple of people liked it so right. hey so far so good awesome all right and uh one thing i should have also mentioned we are you know we're, we're end of day here so uh so i'm enjoying a wonderful beverage for for the festivities i was on friday as well i know i should have should have made mention to it because i make enough mentions to it um you know on uh, on twitter but uh I'm enjoying a lovely 11.5% uh, alcohol triple IPA. Figure if I'm only going to have one today, make it count, uh, that my brother-in-law gave me this weekend. And uh, yeah, it's tasty. It's in a green can. It's very, you know, I looked, I was like, green, you know, that goes on. That's on brand for us. So uh, I was going to uh-huh. run with it. Cool. So speaking of feedback, um, Kyle, uh, you know, our co- co- co-owner, who maybe we'll get on one of these sometimes, uh Sometime to co-owner and uh, actually original founder of UHND back in 1997, uh-huh. uh, which is kind of crazy uh, to think all these years later, here we are. But uh, Kyle listened to the podcast and uh, he gave me some feedback and his exact comment <laughs> I, I just read to you was, you know, what? hey, man, listen to it. Sounds good. You know, I don't believe at all that you'll be happy or that, that you won't be mad with nine and three. Because uh, if you didn't listen to our first podcast, we kind of got on, uh, started talking about expectations for 2021 and how, 
Yeah, it's one of those years that like who the hell knows what is going to happen. Could go a number, could go a number of different ways. And and Greg posed the hypothetical to me of nine and three. And in in the moment, I was like, yeah, you know what? I guess I would be like kind of like eh, but not you know not not devastated with it. And I I think I was still just in you know emotional distress. Following watching, following you know my 76ers first blowing that uh, an 18 point lead and then a 25 point lead last week before finally de- delivering the nail in in my coffin on on Sunday night that I was just like you know what after what I've seen this week nine and three doesn't sound bad but uh, I've given it some more thought Greg and Kyle's right uh, there's no reason for this team to be nine and three this year and I think you even said it on Friday when we had when we recorded that like, something went wrong and, and Notre Dame would be doing a bad job if, uh, or something, somebody has, or I forget how you worded it. I think you said like, Hey, you did a bad job if you were, if you were <laughs> nine and three this year. And after looking at it, you're right. I, it's, I looked at the schedule again and I was like, I don't, I don't see three losses. I see, I see three losses in a worst case scenario in like a, you know, 2016 scenario where like literally everything that could go wrong does go wrong. I think, I mean, yeah, to your point, it's, it, it's not that I can, can't see three losses or whatever. It's that I can't see three losses without it being, you did a bad job. Like, you know, I mean, I could, you could always game away for it to happen, but it's like, Oh, you messed up. You know, like that's not, you can't say, Oh, it was a good year if we, you know, there's not three teams. There's not one team with a more talented roster than us. So if you lose three times to teams with less talented rosters, and some of them, I mean, who's even really close? There's just USC. So, I mean, you're you're losing three times to these to these teams, then okay, you're not, you didn't do good. And you should, I'm not going to say something is good if it's not. So, yeah, I, I, I honestly mean, feel like I'm talking to like one of my fa- one of my friends about the Sixers right now, actually, <laughs> keeping this relevant of losing three <laughs> times to a to a team to a to team with uh, with a less talented roster, nonetheless, on your own home court. But uh, you're yeah. right. You're right. There's not there's not teams more talented, you know, on paper and the games aren't played on paper. But, hey, um, that's a good indicator. Of uh, of the way that it should go, and it it should go better than nine and three. Um, I think you you even said like ten and two should be the floor, and I you said that on Friday, and I'm uh, I'm starting to to warm up to that. And it's you know it's June. I I kind of got the feeling that by July I'll be like you know what ten and two is even bad, and eleven and one is where this team should be, and you know around. Uh, uh, 6 p.m. local time on September 5th. I'll probably be sitting there saying like, "Okay, playoff march starts today. 12 and 0. Here we come." But that is the roller coaster of uh, you know of, of my sports fandom. So, but uh, we're uh, expectations are uh, are getting getting raised over on this end. Yeah, and just think of the the 2019 season, right? Like w- one of those losses was to Georgia, who. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, you know, it's a benchmark game, right? You lose by six to Georgia and no one's like really upset. But then you lose to Michigan mm-hmm. and the, not just the way they lost to Michigan, but it's like even, even any loss to Michigan at that point, because 
no one thought anything of Michigan at the time. So like imagine another loss then in that season. It would be, I mean, we don't like the season as it was and they were 11 and two. So imagine like a nine and three situation where, I don't know, you, you lose some goofball game to, you know, Duke or, you know, who, who was it at the end? You know, Virginia Tech. I mean, it would have been, it would have been. Uh, we, we were Ian Book heroics away from that happening. Though, right, too. right. And it would have been anarchy. Oh, yeah. It would have been. But, I mean, you know. I'm fairly certain I wrote an article after the Michigan game saying that we should be giving, uh, <laughs> uh, that, 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 that maybe Ian Book shouldn't be the starting quarterback um, following that game because it was so bad. Um, and then, uh, well, we all, we know how the rest of that, uh, the rest of that played out over the next uh, six months. Yeah, and that's why, that's why fans are fans and coaches are coaches. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but hey, you know what? And and before we get into today's topic, which we teased last week about, you know, what should, what kind of offense should Notre Dame, you know, run long term? Of should they go the route, you know, that the that most of the college football is going in terms of, hey, let's air it out, let's throw it, you know, forty times a game. Uh, because Alabama's doing it now and we have to do what Alabama's doing or stay the course of, you know, the, the offense that we saw, uh, you know, last year that had for the first time in a long time actually had an identity uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, but before we dive into that, we would be remiss if we did not bring up some of the positive recruiting news that, you know, that has happened, you know, since our first recording last week. Greg, you want to maybe uh, you want you want to touch on some of that? Yeah. So Junior Tulihalamaka, he um, the top, I guess top 100 ish linebacker yeah. from um, California. I think Bishop Alamany, I think is where he's from. Um, he committed to Notre Dame. He is a former USC commitment, so that's always fun to steal someone from USC who's from Southern California. Um, big fan of Manti Teo. Uh, from what I understand, war number five is a junior. So, um, hey, Manti, still paying dividends for us. Thanks, buddy. Um, so he's good. So they've got uh, – so they have Junior Tulialamaka at linebacker, top 100 caliber. They've got Joshua Burnham, top 100 caliber linebacker, and Nolan Ziegler, who is around top 300, top 250. And then – you know, there's kind of hints, uh, insinuations, kind of uh, wink, winks that Jalen Sneed, top 100 linebacker from Clemson, might also be, you know, maybe not a silent commitment, but as close as you can be to a, a commitment. Um, and hopefully that happens fairly soon. So if that happens, I mean, that's... Heck of a linebacker class. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Sebastian Cheeks, who it looks like might end up at Texas. He's, you know, a top 150 caliber player who Notre Dame is going to say, you know, we're out of room for. That's exactly. pretty unbelievable. Yeah, man. I mean, you don't that. I mean, Cheeks was supposed to visit last weekend and, you know, the news broke that, you know, he's he's not visiting now. Um, and you don't uh, as, as at Notre Dame, you don't uh, you don't do that unless you feel pretty, you know, darn good about no. Sneed. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think, uh, you know, hopefully that one, 
you know, the, I mean, not that there's much suspense for it, I think at this point, but hopefully, you know, that becomes, um, you know, that becomes official pretty soon. And yeah, I mean, I mean, that group of linebackers is just, you know, ridiculous. Uh, I mean, the closest I, I mean, I, I was trying to uh, think about it over the weekend when, uh, you know, when junior committed. And I mean, I, there was the one class that rankings wise, you know, at the time looked great. That turned out to be, you know, pretty good, but not, you know, not the best. And that was the the Coney, Bilal, Barajas uh, class, which, you know, Barajas obviously didn't pan out, transferred, and then didn't really, you know, catch on, catch on afterwards. But I mean, Bilal ended up, you know, it took him a while, but he ended up, you know, having, uh, having a pretty damn good final year. And I mean, Coney in his final year was, was, a, was a tackling machine, but, um, yeah, and hasn't quite found that NFL success yet. But uh, I mean, that rankings-wise, that when I looked back, I was like, well, that class is kind of close to this. The the thing that it was missing, though, that class was like, you know, Barajas I think was in the 120-ish range. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when when he committed, uh, Coney and 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 Bilal were like, I think they were around in the 200s, and Bilal was the one that was like, I remember he was like, he was all over the place rankings-wise. It was like. One of the services had him really high, you know, based purely on, you know, projection of like this kid's an athletic freak. If he figures it out, he's going to be awesome. And uh, and the others were a little bit, uh, you know, a little a little bit lower. But I mean, that was like the only one I could really think that actually ultimately, you know, ended up signing with Notre Dame. But, uh, you know, in the last 10 years or so, that is even remotely close to what that uh, quartet uh, quartet would uh uh, you know, would would bring to the table for uh, you know for for the, for the Notre Dame defense, um, and you know there was other. You know, it seems like we are kind of at that point in June now where news is going to start just like flying in. Uh, I mean, today alone, you look at running back recruiting too, and um, yeah, the crystal balls have been coming in for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, for uh, for Singleton, which you know now is. Is hopefully the case because you know of the big three, uh, you know Hayden popped for Ohio State, uh, you know Ohio State today, and Sawchuck popped for uh, for Oklahoma. So hopefully those crystal balls are accurate, um, and uh, and we're we're getting good you know positive news on offense here soon too. Yeah, um, as far as running back, it needs to happen because Singleton mm-hmm. is is all that's left. I mean, plus like even if he didn't look. Given the crystal balls and everything, people are going to be pretty disappointed if he ends up not coming to Notre Dame. But at the end of the day, I mean, they still have Jujarian Price, so I think he's a really good player. So oh, yeah. it, it's it's not one of these things where Notre Dame's completely striking out, and it's a uh, it's kind of unfortunate for Price since he he committed so long ago. Um, kind of the the a little bit of the luster has fallen off, and now it's like kind of are we going to get the next guy? Mm-hmm. Um, but if if it happened that Price, you know, just ended up being the only back, I think I think he's really good. Um, okay. So that that's they, they've got that in their back pocket. I think Singleton is really good too. So um, yeah. that would just be in you know just even better. Um, it's kind of a weird time. I've never I don't ever remember a time in Notre Dame recruiting where there were so many purported silent commitments. Yeah. And it's like none of this is super like, you know, 
private information. I mean, it's been insinuated publicly by, you know, numerous beat writers for a while. And it's like, you know, the, the big mystery is like how many silent commitments are there? Um, you know, are there four, are there five, are there six, um, are there three, you know, who knows? And it's, it's kind of weird. Like it's when you think about recruiting, it's, um, it's almost like there are certain players that you think like, okay, like there, you consider them in the class. Uh, but at some point they do need to officially be a part of the class. Um, at least from a commitment point point of view, like Sneed, right? Like that's a good example. Like everyone kind of considers him a part of the class, but he hasn't committed yet. And there is just that little bit of uncertainty given the fact that it hasn't happened. Everyone expects that it will, but like Billy Shrouf, again, same kind of deal. So it's exciting because they're in on just so many good players, but at the same time, like, okay, we, we, let, let's uh, let's start sending out the bat signal thing so we can get all excited for real. So yeah. um, we're in kind of a limbo there. But I guess everything's supposed to kind of – it's supposed to – you know, we're about to see some movement within the next week at least. Yeah, that's what it kind of seems like. It seems like – I mean, a lot of these kids, I mean, they couldn't take visits. They finally opened up. So, I mean, these kids are seeing some of these schools for the first time you know, making trips officially. And, uh, I think, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get a lot of news here in the next probably week or so. And I mean, if we go back to Singleton, you know, specifically, like I just loaded up, you know, the, the, the crystal balls that have come in for him in the last, you know, two to three days. And you look at who, who, you know, submitted them and what their success rate is this year. And, uh, let's see, Kevin Sinclair, uh, you know, from Irish illustrated, he put one in today. This year, he is ten for ten. Mm. Uh, Brian uh, Brian Dawn, national recruiting analyst for twenty four seven. He put one in yesterday. I think it was yeah the twenty first. He is sixty one of sixty five for just under ninety four percent accurate this year. Uh, Tom Loy from Irish Illustrated put one. He was like the first, I think, to uh, or no, he was second. It looks like to uh, to put one in. He yes, yeah, Steve, Steve Wiltfong beat him by two minutes. Uh, according, to the, to the, according to the timestamp here in uh, on the on the on the page, but uh, Tom Loy, 28 out of 30 for 93 and a, and a third percent, and then Will Tong, 163 out of 167 for just a shade under 98 percent. Um, so these guys are pretty accurate when they do this at this point. Um, so yeah, hopefully. I mean, hopefully by the next time you know we pod, uh, we're we're talking about uh, you know him. You know, potentially being in the class, and uh, you know, hopefully a uh, hopefully a few others. Yeah, yeah. So they're just at that. If the running back is a good uh, kind of illustration of, it's like like last week, just like last week, not not this last weekend, but the weekend before, when Dallin Hayden visited. It was one of those things where, you know, apparently Notre all three running backs were technically still in play at that point. Yep. And, you know, what, what, eight, nine days later, suddenly it's just Singleton. Yep. And so it, it's, it just it's, raises the stakes a little bit more. It's like, whoa, now it's like you, you have one shot to, you know, get one, basically. And so that's where it, it just gets kind of – Notre Dame is in kind of a vulnerable position, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So. Yep. But it looks yeah. good for him at the at this point. So, 
It does. And, uh, and you know, that, that's a pretty good segue into what we wanted to make our primary topic today. And that is just, you know, what kind of offensive identity should Notre Dame have if they want, you know, to really, if they want to win a national championship and they want to, you know, not just get to the playoffs, but get to the playoffs, you know, win a game and then win another game, um, you know, at least until that new proposal comes into play and they need to do more than that. But um, I mean, that's the the ultimate goal here. And I think, you know, you look at uh, recruiting specifically kind of, you know, maybe gives us a clue as to which way Notre Dame's going. And Notre Dame is thinking of, uh, you know, was last year's offense what we're going to see kind of moving forward? Do we is that going to be, you know, what we hang our hat on? Or are they going to try to morph into more of a, you know, pass first, uh, pass first attack? But I think you you see with you know, adding two running backs a year after adding two running backs um, and the kind of receivers that we are, you know, we're recruiting. And it, I mean, and it seems like that offense we saw in 2020 is what we're going to be seeing. Um, and, and knowing that, Greg, this is what we wanted to talk about today is do you think that is a, do you think that's the the route? Is that how, is that how Notre Dame ultimately wins a national championship? I do. And I just think you got to lean into the things that you're you're going to be elite at. And I don't know that they are going to be elite in the areas that other teams are going to be elite, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're ever going to get a receiver class like Alabama got. And I don't think they're ever going to accumulate the kind of wide receiver talent that um Ohio State can um, accumulate. But what they can do is they we know they can get elite linemen, right? I mean, look at the two freshmen they just brought in, right? Blake Fisher. I mean, people are talking about him like he's a top 10 pick right now. And, you know, whether or not that's warranted, we'll see. But I think at the very least, he seems to be every bit of whatever his ranking was in the, you know, consensus top 50 which is which is good right you 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 want to see that and same thing with Rocco Spindler and and the, you know you, you have the tight ends right you have you're always going to get two good tight ends Notre Dame has another two good tight ends in this class you want to lean into the things that you can be elite at as especially as it compares to what other schools can do and i think the mistake that people are kind of making about last season is because since Notre Dame went, you know, all in on these heavy formations and, you know, kind of running the ball a lot and, you know, 12 and 13 personnel and everything. And since it didn't work out against Alabama and Clemson the second time that you need to basically go away from it. And I'm, and I'm curious to, to hear what you say about this, but my feeling is it's just because it didn't, it didn't work out at the top level last year. That doesn't mean that last year's roster was, was perfectly equipped to play that kind of an offense. You know, they, they, had, a, they had a good offensive line, uh, an experienced offensive line, and they had, you know, Kyron Williams and the tight ends, right? So you had Tommy Tremble, you had Brock Wright, and you had um, Michael Mayer. 
but the receivers, you know, it, those aren't the type of receivers that you think are, are going to win you a national title, I guess. Um, and, and Ian at quarterback, you know, it, he needs more. He probably needed more at receiver to get the best out of what he can, what he can be. You know, I think part of it was you're asking Ian book to, to be the reason that you're winning these games and he could be when he's playing, you know, even even like the North Carolinas of the world, right? And and he can do that. But again, to win a national title, maybe they need a little bit more um, as far as weapons go. Yes, and I think, you know, one, I mean, yeah, you go back to, you make a great point about the roster, you know, last year and maybe why. It didn't. Um, it didn't quite. Um, <laughs> it didn't. Uh, it didn't quite work out. You know, last year, and that's and it, and it's because I yeah I don't. We didn't have the talent at wide receiver last year, so that when you get to Alabama or when you get to Clemson, you know, Clemson 2.0, that uh, you know that you can you know take advantage of that offensive line and you take advantage of the running game. Um, we talked about this last week that I was actually surprised to an extent as to how well we ran the ball against Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Because to me, if I'm Alabama and I looked at that ACC championship game and I looked at Notre Dame in totality in 2020, I'm not respecting the passing game. Right. And I don't think that's, you know, a, a huge knock on 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 the, the, the personnel from last year. Um, it's just what the offense, you know, was as a result of all of those, you know, all the injuries and all the misfortune that we talked about last week at, um, at wide receiver. So if I'm, you know, if I'm Alabama going into that game, I'm saying, I don't trust that this, you know, that you're going to be able to just run this ball down our throat. I'm loading up on the run, beat us with the pass. And if you do, you know, good on you. And we couldn't do it. Um, and we, it wasn't, you know, because, of uh, the you know the offensive identity or or the game plan, it was because of the personnel. Um, and I I think you know it, it, from what we could see from recruiting and from what we can even see, you know, from the roster this year, barring injuries, barring any off field issues, yeah, that that shouldn't be those limitations shouldn't be there this year if we have a little bit you know better luck. Um, and I, you know, cause if you even look at the first Clemson game, right. Well, how did we start that game off? We started that game off with Kyron Williams busting, you know, a long run for mm-hmm. a touchdown and that set the tone. And that is, that was Notre Dame coming out and saying, Hey, Clemson, this is what we're going to do. We're a running team. We're going to run on you and we're going to bust it. And they did. And it was like, I remember that, like just being so shocked to be perfectly honest when Williams broke into the clear because other than, you know, 2012 um, Oklahoma game when Sierra Wood busted that one right up the middle, mm-hmm. like in all the other big games that Notre Dame has lost, that is that has fed the narrative that we're all tired about hearing, like we didn't have those runs. We tried and we couldn't. And in Clemson, you know, round one, we were able to do it. Clemson round two, they, you know, they, we weren't able to do it as much, but even in that game, like if you think back to the ACC championship game and how that game started out 
and what it could have been with slightly better execution, you know, on the offensive end, like that game is very different, you know, to, if we just took advantage of, you know, what, what, uh, the, uh, you know, the first two drives, right. We marched down in, in the ACC championship game. Um, you know, we, we, we get the first in 10, you know, out just outside, you know, outside the, uh, you know, the red zone. And then we, you know, we kind of, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit and, um, you know, we, we end up you know, getting lucky actually and hitting the 51 yard field goal. We get the interception on the next drive. You know, we're driving down. We get to the six-yard line. We get to the five-yard line, actually, as I'm looking at the the, the play-by-play here. Um, second and goal, and we end up walking away. You know, with uh, with with zero points. Um, and you know, we if that if that's different, you know, that's a that's a completely different ball game. But it's not right. And that wasn't that was um, you know in part you know some of the uh, some of the personnel I think that um, you know that we uh, that that we had. And I think moving forward, if that's not the case, I love the idea of Notre of Notre Dame's 2020 offense being what Notre Dame football, you know, is, you know, kind of moving forward. Cause that is, you know, that is Notre Dame football, right? It's like Notre Dame football is the, you know, you're, we're supposed to be tougher and, and, and everything like that. And it's so funny that for years you had such a loud vocal percentage of the fan base yelling, right? Run the damn ball. Brian Kelly won't run the football. Brian Kelly only wants to air it out. He wants to do this. And now that same faction of the fan base is sitting back and saying, Brian Kelly is not, you know, being following the modern trends of college football and we need to throw the ball more. And, and you know, this, we, we shouldn't be running first and, and, and everything. So it's it's very funny how this has worked out. But I agree with you that I personally like this, um, like this, uh, you know, identity. Um and then maybe it's just because to me, this is the first I like I mentioned this in the in the intro, but like, do you remember the last time Notre Dame like truly had an offensive identity like this where we could say, this is what we are. This is what we're going to be. And, you know, stop us if you if you if you can. And if you can, good on you. But if not, this is what we're going to do. I don't remember the last time I could truly say that about a Notre Dame offense. Um. I think, uh, well, I think the 05 team had it. It just, it had it the other way. It just had it from a a passing perspective. But But it's 16 years ago. (laughs) No, for sure. And look, that was, that was a very good offense. And, and, and I don't want, I don't want the takeaway from this to be, you know, the, the kind of, ground and pound, you know, everything is a 14 play drive is kind of okay. You you do need, you do need to be explosive. And that's one thing that they lacked last year um, in terms of just like that, take the top off the defense type play. And, and that is a, you know, it was a personnel problem, right? You didn't have Lindsay, you didn't have keys, you didn't have um, Austin. Um, But it just, it, it shows itself. And in the two, the two Clemson matchups, you know, I, you talk about how Kyron busted the run, right? And it's a, it's a 65 yard touchdown, and and that gets you off to to an early start. And the and the thing is, is Notre Dame moved the ball consistently in that game, but they had a hard time getting the ball in the end zone, you know, because 
after the after the long run, right? Yep. You have a you have a long drive that stalls on a fourth and inches at the you know at the inside the five because of mm -hmm. a false start. You have to kick a field goal. The next drive, you have a drive that stalls inside the ten because of a drop pass on third down on third and goal, right? And the thing is, is like, it's like, yeah, you know, if, oh, if we could only, you know, capitalize on those things. It's like, that's true, but, you know, the way Clemson scored is they hit a, a deep ball, right? And you're, and you're hitting, you're hitting big plays. And then, especially in the ACC title game, you know, Clemson, Clemson has the 70-yard touchdown. And then they have the 30-yard pass. And then they have a 40-yard run. It, it like they are scoring points without having to stall in the red zone because they're not getting there because they're scoring before that. And that's what Notre Dame doesn't have. You know, in the first matchup, they they uh, they Notre Dame scored on six possessions, but on four of them they were kicking field goals. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if if you just turn uh, two of those four field goals in the touchdowns, <laughs> you're looking at, you know, what is it? Uh, a 40 point performance. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's very important to have explosiveness in your offense and, and the, and they need to find that. And it's not that, it's not that I think they were perfect last year because they weren't, they needed to do more exploiting their matchups with the tight ends. And this is an area where, you know, people complain about, I don't want to say complain, maybe just note that maybe they could have used Tremble more. And I think that there were matchups there with Tremble on linebackers where you have him up the seam against safeties and linebackers. And you got to exploit those things. But it, the, I don't, so my point is, is I don't think the problem was with the offense. I think it's just you've got to better use your personnel to you know to exploit the defense and they didn't do it last year you know we it's been talked about kind of ad nauseum maybe it was a a COVID thing where they just didn't have a lot of prep to run as much as the offense as they wanted I don't know but the point is is I I just don't think it was the offensive philosophy as much as you know you just need to have a a different kind of um I guess approach to how you want to win games, to how you want to move the ball on offense. They do need to be more explosive. Agreed. And I think, you know, one thing I've been thinking about, about this is we, again, we talked, as we, we said, we were going to talk about this today and as trying to prepare for it is I think, you know, if Notre Dame were to go the route and try to, you know, pivot away from what they did last year of being a power, you know, having that identity of a power team that's going to run the ball and they tried to just be this explosive offense. Um, my take is that I think it would actually, it would increase our singular odds of winning one national championship in that I think you would, we would have a greater chance of catching lightning in a bottle like LSU did in 2019, where they had, Great receivers. They had Joe Burrow tossing 50 touchdowns or whatever number. Yeah, I forget the exact number of touchdowns that Joe Burrow threw that year. But what happened because that was their identity and that's how they built their team. The next year, they're five and what were they five and five last year, and a, and a thrown shoe away from being four and six. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Right. So, I mean, they, they, their fall was hard because they went from going and having Joe Burrow, who had one of the greatest seasons in college football history, to not having Joe Burrow because he was the number one pick. And then it kind of fell off. So I think I feel like Notre Dame might have a, if, if they were to go all in in that route, I think like they would have a chance. They would they would have more chances of having a singular season like that where maybe you catch lightning in a bottle, it all aligns, and you win the national championship, but there's going to be lows in the years when the, when the personnel doesn't align versus if we you know double down on what we saw in 2020, and that is the Notre Dame offense moving forward, you're going to give yourself more chances because you're going to have that identity. You're going to, you know, you're not going to have as many letdown games because teams teams that generally, you know, have that, you know, mentality and that and that identity when they execute well, they tend to not lose games that they should win, right? They tend to not lose games where they have more talent. We talked about this in the beginning. Notre Dame has more talent than everybody, um, you know, than everybody they're going to play this year. And if you think to, you know, usually in games when you're losing to teams with with less talent, you're you're turning the ball over, um, you know, and you're doing things like that, right? And for the most part, unless you know, we're going to bust out lime green jerseys like 2002 Boston College and, and, fumble, and fumble 17 times because obviously the numbers were, sl- were slick or whatever, whatever was the case with those, with those jerseys. You're not going to turn the ball over as much. And you're going to, you're going to win the games that you should win. Um, and, you know, you get the right personnel around that and we will have, we will have more chances you know, of being a playoff team, more chances. So I, I think it's kind of, which do you want? Do you want to have, you know, more bites at the apple? Or when you get the bite, do you want it to have a greater singular chance knowing that, you know, next year you might fall off a cliff? Um, you know, if, you know, your quarterback graduates and you no longer have two top 10 picks at, you know, at receiver, and now, you know, you don't have that offense that could score 50 points, uh, you know, 50 points a game. Right. And I, and I, and that part of the other thing too, is I feel like Brian Kelly gets into this. Um, I don't I, he, he, you know, some years it's like, okay, we need to score points this year. And then like the 2014 team, it just seems kind of like to stand out. It's like that team was like, okay, we need to, we need to throw the ball all the time because we need to outscore teams. And so then he gets in that outscore team's mindset and he turns it loose offensively, at least as far as the passing game goes. He gets super aggressive. And then other times he he gets into this mindset of, okay, we need to be ball control. We are we're not gonna return punts, you know, we're not gonna yep. return punts, we're not gonna try to do that. We're just gonna we're gonna be a safe team, you know, and and he doesn't really modify that ever and and the years that he's like that are are kind of basically um that lends itself to a better season just because he only plays ball control when he feels like he has a really good defense so and so that you know that the result is a better team right so 2012 team 2018 team 2020 team I I, I kind of need I, I kind of would like for him to just want to outscore teams all the time 
you know, just like kind of have that mindset of like, we're here to, we want to score 40 points a game, no matter what, like, and we want to take chances no matter what, because we have such a good defense. It's like, we can put them in kind of some bad situations if it comes to that. And so it's just like, like games like, uh, like Georgia tech, right? It's like Georgia tech has like negative six yards on offense at halftime and they never have the ball and Notre Dame always has the ball, but since they're only playing this ball control thing and you get a fumble for a touchdown scored by the defense, well now it's like 14 to seven, you're up at halftime you're completely Mm -hmm. dominating the game. So it's just, this is, it's the difference. It's, it's, it's one of these things where I I want them. I'm fine for them to keep the offense how it is. It doesn't matter to me. Like, I think the way that they're doing it is good and, and they should lean into the things they're good at. But I also think that their mindset needs to be more aggressive. He needs to think more aggressively, think a little bit more of the upside because the upside is what you need at the end of the season. No, I agree. And I think, I mean, I, I, it comes back to personnel last year, I think. I mean, again, if you have if you have Kevin Austin uh, and Braden Lindsay at 100% and you got Lawrence Keyes not dealing with all the things that, you know, he had to deal with in terms of minor injuries and then, uh, you know, being in, in COVID protocols there at, at one point, I, you, you, you can take more chances um, and you could take more you could take more risks. Um, and I mean, even in Georgia Tech, I mean, we he did uh, maybe a little bit, you know, take some, uh, uh, you know, some some chances, but um, it's probably more in the second half. Uh, but um, yeah, I think it, it comes back again to the to the personnel. And I think when you look at receivers we got this year, you look at how we're recruiting the wide receiver, you know, position. Uh, you know, moving forward and then the potential that we're going to get four big guys, you know, at, at, at wide receiver, uh, you know, in this uh, in this class. And I, I think that's the route that that he's going. I do think, you know, your, your point on, on Brian Kelly flip flopping a lot, you know, year to year is is valid. But I also think that it, it seems and this this is outside of what we were originally going to talk about, but it, it, it seems to me that after you know, a decade here of, of Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, you finally have a head coach who is comfortable being the head coach at Notre Dame. And I don't think he was comfortable as being the head coach at Notre Dame over his first couple of years. And you could see that, like the, the, the stubbornness in 2010 of, yeah, get used to it after he clearly made a terrible decision in the Tulsa game. Um, and that stubbornness that he had then and the stubbornness that he had even in some of the, you know, the the offensive game plans when you would trot out an offense, you know, with Tommy Reese, you know, God bless him, you know, throwing the ball as much as he did when that was, you know, Tommy Reese was, was more game manager. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think just within the last couple of years um there's been a few games here and there where you're like you know and i know it wasn't that long ago so 2019 michigan being one of them where you're like damn it we're back to you know to uh you know to 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 same old kelly but like even last year like his demeanor in press conferences and just his demeanor in general feels like a guy who is like you know what this job is hard (laughs) coaching at notre dame is a meat grinder right it has it has eaten up 
you know, better coaches than Brian Kelly in a shorter amount of time, right? I think, I don't think anybody is biggest Brian Kelly fan that you could be. I don't think anybody's going to say he is a better coach than Lou Holtz was. And Lou Holtz, you know, noted the Notre Dame job got to him, you know, sooner than it's gotten to Brian Kelly. And Ara Parsegian, you know, back in, you know, when Ara was at Notre Dame, you know, blogs didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist when there was even more scrutiny. And he didn't last uh, because of how much the job ages you. And I think you, we've now gotten to the point where like Brian Kelly is just like, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who Notre Dame is. And, and we're going to do this. And I think, you know, you, you, I think we're starting to see that in the team. I think it's finally coming through in the team of, of Notre Dame itself kind of having that sense of, uh, of comfortability and, and confidence where I think we're seeing it on the recruiting trail of, you know, recruits buying into this because recruiting, you know, all of a sudden, and it's, it's, we give the Freeman factor a lot of the credit, but I mean, it's not, what we're seeing in recruiting this year is not just one guy. Um, and I think we would have seen it to be perfectly honest with you last year, had it not been for the fact that there were no official visits. Mm-hmm. That's one of Notre Dame's biggest recruiting tools, right? Is getting, get a kid on campus and, 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 you know, you have the Corey minor stories, uh, you know, of the, you know, of the, of the, you know, of the past where, where anything is, anything is possible. And I, I think we're seeing that, like, I think the offense is just, a result of that, of Brian Kelly finally just being comfortable as being the head coach. Um, and it's, um, I, I think we're going to see, you know, the, the, the offense continue to evolve. I don't think we're going to see, you know, exactly what we saw in 2020, but I think the identity that we saw is what we're going to see. And I think that's the right move. Right. So I, 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 I agree with you. I, so I think what happened is, Post 2016, he just did a complete, just tear down of the way the program was run and the way that they went about just kind of building the building the roster, building the program, and that sort of thing. And it, it kind of gets back to the whole traits conversation that really bugs people. <laughs> but I, I think that he had to say, we have to. We have to sell Notre Dame a certain way. We have to sell our program a certain way to the players who we want to come and who are already on the roster. And just to basically say, like, this is the way you have to be in order to play for us in in terms of, you know, the, the classroom, your habits on the field, off the field, the way that you play, your preparation. Like, this is how it has to be. I think the first six, seven years were just a big, just kind of experiment for him. I don't think he meant it this way, but I think he used it that way. It's just like, it's an experiment to be like, this is what we, this is how you are successful at this school. And this is what you have to show. And I don't care. And he, he basically said this, I don't care how good you are. If you aren't ready to do X, Y, and Z, then you're not going to play and we're not going to even recruit you. And I think that they very much erred on the side of, of we are going to make sure that you are a fit for our program. And, and that was his basically philosophy. And when you come in, you have to do X, Y, Z. And if you're not doing it, then I don't care who you are. 
we're not going to put you in the game yet. And, and, you know, it hasn't been perfect, obviously, but I think in this, the same way that he is now taking that and branching out to, um, you know, doing more in recruiting, just even getting Marcus Freeman to come to Notre Dame in the first place. I think that he, you know, he learned a lesson there. He was able to sell the university and his program to Marcus Freeman. I think now he's starting to do that with recruits. And I think it's all just a big branching out. And it's kind of the same thing with the offense. Like, okay, we, we went from to the ground floor with the way, like last year's offense was very ground floor. It was very just kind of rudimentary. And I think that now that they have that installed, they are just going to start branching out off of that. And I think it's happening in recruiting, and I think it's going to happen with the offense as well. And to your point, I, I just think it did take him, and it's I, he's still learning. And, I, you know, I guess we can debate on whether or not it's taken too long. Um, but the fact is, it's like this is where we are, and this is where it's going. And just, you know, it's his 11th year or whatever it is. It kind of doesn't matter. The fact is Notre Dame football is in a really good place. And, you know, it, it, we should be happy about that. Like, there, there, I just don't see how someone could look at the program right now and not feel, like, really optimistic, I guess. I mean, one, I, 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 I can only in a sense of there's people who don't want Brian Kelly – to succeed because they have to admit they were wrong and some people don't like to do that and that's a big percentage of people who didn't want brian kelly in the first place the second he failed were happy because then it proved that they were right um and then now that he has reinvented himself and he's reinvented notre dame they don't want to have to admit that they were wrong um, and this was also something that I, you know, I thought about as I was preparing for this. And, you know, in 2000, after 2016, I was off the Brian Kelly bandwagon completely. I wrote an article specifically titled, ah, damn it, now I forget the name, but I, I wrote an article <laughs> that basically said, that basically said, you know, you know what? Yeah, Brian, we are used to it and it sucks or something like that. Right. Where I was like, it's time to move on. The Brian Kelly experiment has failed. 2016 should have never happened and he's never going to change because this is just who he is and then 2017 happened and 2018 happened and i will be perfectly i wrote another article that said you know what brian kelly proved everybody including me wrong and i was like i think one thing that like people who follow us all anybody who writes for a blog or anybody who does a podcast like i think anybody who follows a any of us kind of thinks is like we never none of us ever want to admit that we're wrong and like personally i'm a fan first so like i could care less if i'm right or wrong as long as notre dame is winning football games and so when brian kelly turned it around and we started winning games i was like you know what i was wrong and i don't care that i was wrong because you know what whoever we could have hired Whoever we could have hired in 2017, and I forget who, you know, or for 2017, I forget who was available then, but whoever we could have hired back then, like none of, whoever that was, 
Like if we would have looked and they got hired in, in, in 2017 was their first season and the body of their work was the 2017, 2018, 2019, um, and 2020 season, we would be saying, we'd be doing cartwheels. We'd be like, holy hell, we got this coach that's great. You know, he's won 10 games every year. He's been here. He's been to the playoffs twice. And he's got this program headed in the right direction. And I think, you know, there's there's some people, though, who don't want to admit that they were wrong. And it's the whole, I'm never watching another second of another game crowd that, like, dude, you know what? Like, why are you a fan at that point? Because if you can't enjoy it when you're proven wrong and when the team is good, then, like, there's no point. Right. In being in being a fan. Um, and, and that's the only people I could see who, who can't right now say Notre Dame is in a good place. And I don't know if you could tell, man, but I'm getting fired up. And I will say we started this by me saying I was wrong, saying nine and three was even remotely acceptable. We started this today. I was at ten and two as the floor. I might be at eleven and one being the floor. <laughs> like in my junior, by the end of this podcast, all it took was an hour of just talking this out. You got me like I'm fired. Up. I mean, it could be the eleven and a half percent IPA that I'm drinking during this, but I mean, it. We the program is in a good spot. There's no nobody can can sit back and say Notre Dame is in a terrible spot right now, um, unless. You don't want to admit that you're wrong or, you know, unless that you, you you know, you're somebody who is, uh, you know, just like, again, so hell bent on saying like, no, you know, it's all doom and gloom. Everything, the sky is falling. It's it's not falling. It's not falling. Um, Last year did not end the way that we wanted it to. But it this entire program is headed in the right direction. And it's not perfect yet. We talked last week about how wide receivers specifically, you know, is not perfect yet. Um, but there's not, there's not a single thing I could point to right now saying it's getting worse and I don't see a way in which it's going to get better in the near future. Right. And that's the thing. It's not that when I say that, you know, the program is in a good place, I don't mean in a stagnant way, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't think, you know, there's kind of a, a view of, you know, people who people who say, you know, look, I, I you got to win a title, you got to win a title, you got to win a title, and then people who who say, well, why can't you just be happy with kind of what you've seen? I, I think I think the the two camps are kind of talking past each other. It, to me, you just take everything for what it is, right? Like I, I don't, I'm I. I sometimes I'm a bottom line guy and sometimes it's just like, you got to stop and say like, you know, it's pretty good. Right. Like, like last year, right. Like, is it, is it good that they, is it good that they weren't competitive against Clemson or Alabama? Like, no, it isn't. But at the same time, you know, when the season starts and I see that Austin is out and I see that Lindsay is hurt and I, and I see that, you know, we, Tariq Bracey starts playing poorly and, and people are going out because of COVID and that sort of thing. And you just look at it and you think, oh man, like this roster isn't going to win a title. And then they go 10 and 0 and then they get to the point where they are severely overmatched. And you say to yourself, oh, you know, like, oh, they blew it again in the big moment. It's like, well, I don't know, but you still did a pretty good job. I mean, it's not like this, this team it's not, it's not even close to the most talented team Brian Kelly's ever had. Right. No. So you just got to kind of take these things for what they are. I think, um, 
you know, I, to me, the, the big thing is that they're moving, they're moving forward. There's reason to think that they're moving forward. The way that they are playing is, or the way that they're recruiting makes me think this program is moving forward. You know, the way that the, the coaching staff is set up, the way that the recruiting operation is going, the way that the, the program itself is just making bigger strides, you know, with, you know, their, their analytics staff, their social media staff, that whole presence, it just feels like they aren't happy with the way things are going. So that's what gives me kind of like makes me feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, if think about just even the Freeman hire in that regard of like when, well, it's 2013, right? 2013, not a good year. Um, But, you know, um, you know, Diaco leaves and he gets his head coaching job. And what did Brian Kelly do to replace Bob Diaco? He went to his tree and he went to somebody he was comfortable with and he was familiar with. And he said, hey, you know, the program is okay. We're in a good spot. I don't need to step outside my comfort zone to improve. I'm just going to get somebody that I'm comfortable with and I know. And that was a, you know, unmitigated. It was a disaster, an absolute disaster. Like it is, we could probably spend an entire podcast talking about how Brian Van Goyter was like possibly the worst hire in the history of Notre Dame football. Um, and and just how that that may have cost Brian Kelly a national championship. When you think about what the 2015 offense was doing and what it was capable of and how it was able to score points on elite opponents like, um, you know, Clemson, even though it was a monsoon and, and uh, you know, against um, Ohio State even. Um, I mean, it was obviously wasn't enough to win those games, but like when you're giving up 40, it's hard to win games. But, um, you know, you, and now you fast forward to when Clark Lee, who might have been his best hire heading into this year, when he leaves and he gets his head coaching job, what does Brian Kelly do? He doesn't make the safe hire or I shouldn't say the safe hire. He doesn't, you know, reach out to somebody he knows because now that would have actually if he would have hired not Brian Van Goyter, but if he would have hired a another Van Goyter type hire in that it was somebody he knew and he was comfortable with, now it would almost be more justified than when he did it in 2013 because the program was in a much better place. But he didn't do mm. that. He said, no, I want to elevate this program. I'm going to go out mm. and I'm going to go after, like, there is nobody that can say that, that uh, Marcus Freeman was not the hottest name on the defensive coordinator circuit this year, Kelly went out and was like, not only am I going to target that guy, everybody in the world thinks he's going to LSU. I'm getting him. And he got him. And mm-hmm. the guy has made an immediate impact in recruiting. And I, it, to me, again, it goes back to Kelly just being comfortable in his own skin. And he, he has that vision for this program. And like, let's be honest, Marcus Freeman, his star is on the rise. Right. He's got aspirations of being a head coach somewhere like he bought into the vision that Brian Kelly now has for this program of, you know, I got I know where this I know what we need. I know how we have to get I know what we need to do to get there and we're we're going to get there. And it is it's fun. It's exciting. Um, I think we're in for however long Brian Kelly you know, just decides he wants to coach at Notre Dame. I think we we have reached finally reached that point where it's like, hey, 
we're going to just be good every year. And like, instead of like, obviously I want to win a national championship, man, I was, you know, six years old when we won the last one. I don't remember it. I want to, I want to remember this one. Right. But uh, like, we're at a point where like, I think we're just going to be good, at least good. Like as a floor every year that Brian Kelly is here now. And like, we should be able to enjoy that. We should be able to say, okay, like, this is nice. This is a good thing. Like we've, now reach that point as a program where 2016 won't happen again. Yeah, I think there's a there's a balance between being able to enjoy the fact that you're always going to be good and and um, wanting more. Exactly. It's okay to kind of Why feel not both? both ways. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I want both. I want I want to enjoy the fact um, that you know that we we're going to be a good program. While still saying, like, yeah, the ultimate goal is a national championship. Um, and I, I personally feel like now we are much closer to that than maybe we have been, you know, in a long time. I do think 2015 was a chance for a national championship with almost any other defensive coordinator in the world. Like, literally almost any other. Um, 2015? 2015. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what did I not say? Twenty fifteen. You said twenty eighteen. No, I my think. Bad. No, stop. I meant twenty fifteen. You are correct okay. here. You're reading my mind here. Because um, <laughs> I mean, you think about that the talent on defense too, and just the waste of it. It was just oh god, that was the worst. Because yeah, like, I mean, the misuse of of of, uh, of Jalen Smith to this day, it ranks right up there with me for me of like the misuse of. David Givens back in the in the Bob Davy era of like mm. David Givens was this ultimate like uh, you know u- ultimate um, you know um, you know potential weapon on offense who we just you know misused and then you see him go to the NFL and like you're like oh that guy that guy used to play at Notre Dame and he didn't do that here because we didn't know what to do with him and we didn't know what to do on offense um, and Jalen Smith was that on defense for me of like huh. Wow, this guy just you know destroys some of my Sundays when he's sacking Carson Wentz, and um, you know it's hard for me when that happens. But at the same time, it's like, remember when we didn't blitz him? Remember when we were just like, no, 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 we can't blitz Jalen Smith because our scheme is so horribly bad. We need him to fix it all. Not great. No, it wasn't. That was that was not long ago either. Um, but mm-hmm. um, hey, we are past that. Now we went like it's amazing too, just how much better we've gotten at defensive coordinator like each time out. It's like, hey, we went from Brian Van Goiter, who is just oh man, I'm running out of adjectives to describe him, to Mike Elko, you know, for a year, who took his money and ran, which is fine because we ended up with Clark Lee. Um, I still have to see Mike Elko's face. You know, every Saturday because I married into an A&M family and now I watch every A&M game. And deep down, there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, I know I have to cheer for A&M. But this guy, Elko guy just uh, don't like him. But um, we went from him to, to Clark Lee to now Marcus Freeman. And it's like, cool. You know, even if he's not here for, you know, 17 years or, her, you know, how, even if he's here for three years, it's like, oh, we're going to get somebody really good to replace him when that happens. And that's a. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. 
So I know we're we're just over you know just over an hour, but I think we had a pretty good. I think this was I think this was a successful episode too. I don't know. What do you think? I always feel good when I'm talking about Notre Dame. So me too. Yeah, they're all they're all great. They're all great. I'm feeling awesome after this beer too. I, I will tell any, anybody who's listening. And if you are in, I got this. My my brother-in-law got this for me in uh, in Pennsylvania because that's you know obviously the Philly sports fandom. I'm sure everybody can tell that I'm at least from the the Pennsylvania area. Um, if you are in like the I guess uh, like northeastern Pennsylvania area, and you see a a beer called absolutely from fagley's brew works pick it up man it's 11 and a half percent alcohol i've had one and i've already increased my over under on the win total by one so i mean i think that's a good sign um of just the quality of uh of this beer but uh, no this was this was fun i'm enjoying this uh this this whole podcasting thing we should, probably should have been doing this for a while let's be honest and uh, <laughs> it is funny how like Jeff and, uh, you know, I had done this uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, like when podcasts were new. You guys were way in. You were you were way ahead of the curve. We were way ahead of the curve. And then we fell out of it. Like, man, we were interviewing. I think back like I we interviewed Rocket Ishmael. Uh, we, we, yeah. we interviewed like I remember just like I was on cloud nine that night when we found out that like Rocket was going to call in. We were like, I'm like. The man who literally made me a Notre Dame football fan yeah. is calling in to talk to me. And I was just like, I'm like calling my dad. I'm like, dad, you're not going to believe who I'm talking to. I'm, I am going to talk to Rocket Ishmael. I, and he's like, well, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy, that guy that we used to watch, like that made us Notre Dame fans. Like I'm talking to him and we wasn't just him. We had, we had a bunch of other hosts and hopefully we'll get some, you know, now that we're doing this, uh, doing this again, but it is wild that that was like 13 years ago when we were doing this. Um, I got to find, I'm going to try, like, I know there's a hard drive somewhere in this house that has those old, <laughs> has those old podcasts on them somewhere <laughs> where I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I know there is one that, uh, that has them cause it would be fun just to, uh, to fire those up. But uh, no, man, this was, uh, this was fun. Hopefully we will, We'll work in some uh, some interaction. Maybe we'll take questions someday. Who knows? Who knows what we're gonna do? We could do anything, right? We could we could take questions. I love answering yeah. questions. Yeah, I saw. I got. I forwarded you that thing that I got from from Spotify. That's they have some new thing that makes. Oh it yeah, easy. that's right. So we'll. Who knows? Maybe we'll 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 try that. We had some again. We had some good listeners last time. Hopefully, we have more. You know, we have more this time. And hey, guys, share this with your friends. You know, if you think that, um, you know, us two rambling on about Notre Dame is, you know, is fun, drop us, you know, comments, let us know what you want us to improve. If I need to drink another 11 and a half percent alcohol beer while I'm podcasting to be more interesting, <laughs> I'm down, you know, uh, my wife might not be as down with that, you know, but uh, it'll be, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. We're going to keep doing this and, uh, yeah, any any parting shots this week? Uh, this week, Greg. Um, no, I would say just uh, stay tuned for the recruiting stuff. Um, oh yeah, that's. Uh, I guess there's going to be some movement coming up in the next uh, week or so. So keep your head on it, and uh, and uh, it'll be an exciting time. It's uh, it, you know, it's an exciting time in general. 
for Notre yeah. Dame football. Like everybody enjoy this, right? We went through hell for the longest time to get to a point where we're going into every season saying 10 wins is our floor. Um, and Hey, it's, it was, it was not a fun, it was not a fun journey, especially after the last week, I could say, I do not trust the process. And, uh, <laughs> that is, that's a whole other story. It's been an emotional week for me, man. It's, it's been, it's been rough, but, uh, this has been fun. Um, Notre Dame football, probably in a better position than my Philadelphia 76ers who have a $140 million max point guard who can't shoot free throws. But, uh, Hey, you know what? You got to take the good with the bad, right? Yeah, man. I'm just glad you, you got through it. And, um, were you, I was pleasantly surprised with myself for not overreacting. I felt I handled it better than I've maybe handled any sports, miserable sports failure of my fandom. I think you were resigned. It seemed like you kind of, you you saw it coming. You saw the writing on the wall. I did. Even though you tried to convince yourself that it wasn't. (laughs) But that goes back to why be a fan if you can't, if you can't convince yourself of your team having a chance, why be a fan, right? I don't. Oh, for sure. I don't understand those fans who like just go in thinking we're going to get killed. It's going to suck. We're going to lose. And same with Notre Dame fans. It's like. Even going into the Rose Bowl, did I think we were going to beat Alabama? No, I didn't think so. Like, I'm fairly rational when I'm sober. Um, not so much when I've had, you know, multiple beers. But when I'm sober, I'm pretty rational. So, like, I did not think we were going to win. But did I not play, like, 40 different scenarios out in my head of how we could potentially win that game? Of course. Otherwise, why watch sports? Why be a fan of anything if you can't, like, allow yourself to have that fun and to, to, to dream big? Exactly. And that's where we're at. Notre Dame is going to win the national championship this year. We've now gone from 9 and 3 to 10 and 2, 11 and 1. We're going to win the national championship. It's fun. I mean, I'm glad that we figured this all out. Like I don't know why it took Brian Kelly 11 years. It took us, you know, an hour and 8 minutes. There you go. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This was uh this was a lot of fun. We hope you guys are enjoying this. Um if you're not, let us know. If you are, let us know um and uh, hey we're gonna be back you know i don't know next week who knows like we, something big happens maybe we'll you know we'll fire this thing up uh, before a week from now it was only uh you know like four days in between last podcast so who knows we'll see how things go all right thanks a lot everybody